0: Our next guest is a free-soloing phenomenon. Please welcome Alex Lowe. (laughs) Here is what I don't understand. One little mistake, one little slip, and you fall and die. Yeah. I mean, you seem to understand it well. Yes, Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I feel like anybody could conceivably die on any given day. Soloing makes it feel far more immediate and much more present.
1: Does it feel different to be up there without a rope?
0: When you're coming without a rope, it's obviously like much higher consequence, much much higher level of focus. You know, it's a whole different experience. But it's not like I'm just pushing and pushing and pushing until something terrible happens. I don't look at it like with that perspective. But maybe that's why it's dangerous for me. Maybe I'm too close to it and I can't tell that I'm speeding towards a cliff.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hope. Uh, My name is Scott Raines. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you've joined us for worship today. That was the opening scene of a movie called Free Solo. It won the Oscar last year for Best Documentary Feature. Uh, Free Solo is the term or the phrase that they use for... Uh, climbing a mountain without ropes. I might call it something else, but uh, that is, it's a fascinating film to watch on, on a whole variety of levels. I like pretty much all kinds of movies. The, the only movies I don't particularly like are scary movies, horror movies. I mean, I just close my eyes and turn away, so why even bother watching? This movie, I turned away so often during it, just like yelling at the screen, stop, why? Do-? It, it is unbelievable to watch this guy try to climb up uh, El Capitan without any ropes. It is, it is fascinating and you just can't even believe it. I, another thing I think would be hard for you to believe is I'm not much of a mountain climber myself. <laughs> uh, the only time I've actually done any climbing was in high school. Uh, for some reason, one day our, our gym teacher, our PE teacher, Mr. Farr, thought it would be a, a good idea to bring in the National Guard to teach us how to repel. And and what Mr. Farr said to us, we got a grade for every day in PE. And so, you know, when we were playing dodgeball, I did really well. And he said, the the way it's going to work this particular day. If you choose to repel, you get an A for the day. If you choose not to repel, you get an F for a day, but no big deal. We'll play dodgeball tomorrow, and you can make it up. So at that point in my life, my my fear of a bad grade outweighed my fear of jumping off the side of a building, so I decided, let's do this thing. And they took us outside, and we climbed the stairs to the top of of the gymnasium, Eldora New Providence High School, and then they taught us how to repel. And, And I air quotes on the word taught, right? They basically just had us step into the harness. They talked about the carabiners and the clips and the rope. You put one hand on the rope in front of you, one hand on the rope behind you. The hand behind you is your brake hand. And so it can determine how fast or how slowly you repel uh, down the wall. And then it was time to just actually do it. And, and when I stood on the edge of that gymnasium and they said, just fall backwards, you know, do the nesty plunge and away you go every instinct in my body said don't even think about doing that i couldn't do it and finally uh, the guy was getting a a little i don't know losing his patience with me he said you know some people find it a little bit easier if you just get on your knees and fall off off that way i said define easier there's nothing about this that feels easy to me so anyway everyone's watching the class is watching the people who had study hall that hour they came to watch and so i thought "I'm, i'm gonna have to do it and so i started going back, and finally, you feel gravity start to take over. And as soon as I felt myself falling and gravity taking over, I freaked out, and I slammed on the brakes. I squeezed that back hand against the rope as hard as I could. And you know what happens as you're moving one direction really fast, and then you stop suddenly. I flipped over upside down. <laughs> and so I'm just out of the reach of the people on the roof. They can't reach me. And I'm still, I don't know, 30 feet above the ground, upside down and I'm in absolute, complete freakout mode. Everyone's laughing except for the guardsmen who are yelling at me, just let go of the rope, just let go of the rope. At that point in my life, I wasn't certain about very many things, but the one thing I was pretty certain of, the only thing keeping me from nosedive 30 feet down, it was my grip on that rope, but they had told us in the training there's going to be a person on the ground holding the end of the rope. That person is called the belay. And if all else fails, just let go of the rope. They can actually control you from, from the bottom of the ground. Well, that just felt outrageous, and I couldn't do it. And, and finally, finally, when, since nothing was working, I decided to let go of the rope. And immediately, I flipped right side up, and the belay did whatever magic they did, and down the side of the uh, gym I went. And I promised, once I got to the ground, I would never, ever do that again. And I, and I haven't. <laughs> I have no intention of doing it. So when I watch this movie, and this guy, is, he's climbing up a 3,200-foot mountain of, of granite without a rope. i just talking about it. My palms are sweating. My heart re- rate is increasing. My stomach is dropping. You know, it's just like, why would anyone do that? And I find myself wondering how many of us actually are kind of free-soloing our way through life. Think of all of the, I don't know, all the things that we have available to us, resources to help us in life, to assist us through life and challenges and problems that we might have. And how many of us are just like, nah, I'm good. I'm fine. I, I can figure out this life completely on my own. And, and there's a lot of life that we can figure out on our own. I mean, look around this room. This room is filled with people who are talented and gifted and accomplished. And, and you can figure out a lot of life. And in this part of the world, life is really pretty good most of the time, isn't it? And, and sometimes when life is going so good, our temptation can be to look at our life and just be kind of like, my job's good, school's good, uh, my marriage is good, parenting seems to be good, everything's good, finances are good. When things are so good, the temptation can be to look at it all and say, this is all because of me. And it's all because of my hard work. It's all because of my planning and my effort and my skill and my talent. And when things are going so good, it can be easy to get to a place where we're just like, I don't need God. The people of Israel find themselves in that place in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah. Let's read this verse together, Jeremiah two thirty-one. Read it out loud with me. Why then do my people say... At last, we are free from God. We don't need Him anymore. Doesn't it seem like inevitably something happens in life that kind of frees us from this mindset? Doesn't life have a way of reminding us, throwing things in our path that cause us to remember just how desperately we are in need of God? One of my favorite quotes is from uh, Dallas Willard. He was a pastor, an author, a a philosopher at USC. And one time Dallas Willard said, God's address is at the end of your rope. Ever been at the end of your rope? I wonder when the last time you were at the end of your rope was. Do you remember what it was like? What it was like to feel like you're stuck in this place and no matter what you do, no matter what you try, no matter how hard you work, Nothing changes. Nothing gets better. It doesn't fix whatever problem it is that you're facing. You remember what it was like to be stuck in that place and to cry out to the heavens and say, God, you got to do something. If you don't do something, if you don't do something soon, if you don't show up, I'm dying here. Really, that's what we celebrated at Christmas, right? A God who shows up, to help and to rescue and to save people who are at the end of their rope. And I want to just pause for a second and say thank you to all of you who served and invited and and came and showed up and and helped make this place such a a warm and welcoming place for our nine Christmas Eve services. We had over 5,000 people come to Christmas Eve services here in Ankeny, over 48,000 hope-wide. I'm just grateful for you and and the ways in which... again praise God for that. The ways in which... You do everything you can to help us carry out the the mission and the vision of this place. At at Christmas Eve services, one of the things we talked about, we talked about uh, the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he starts to teach us an upside-down understanding of blessing, what a blessed life actually is. And and remember, when we looked at that word blessed that shows up so many times, uh, we, we talked about how the idea to be blessed is to be someone to whom God extends joy. That's the literal definition of the Greek word for, for blessing there in Matthew 5. God extends joy to you. God extends joy to the poor in spirit. God blesses the poor in spirit. That's the very first of the Beatitudes. And I want us to look at the way a guy named Eugene Peterson, his kind of paraphrase of that verse in a book called The Message. Again, it's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. It's so easy for us, I think, in this part of the world to, to think we've got our own little kingdom. We, we, we've got this sort of, I don't know, relationship reality or business reality or whatever it might be. We think there are certain areas of life where we are the ruler. And every once in a while, God has to show up and something has to happen in our life where God reminds us, we're not the Lord, he is the Lord. Uh, That that scene that we watched at the beginning of of the sermon, Alex Honnold was being interviewed, looked like maybe a a morning TV show or something. And the woman, the questions that she had, I don't quite understand why you do this. Like one slip and you could die. And I thought his response was so fascinating. His response was to remind her of something that is, death is an ever-present reality. Death is an ever-present reality. Most of us, we shape our lives so that we can pretend we're far, far away from death, but any of us can die at any moment, any anytime, any reason. And so he said, my perspective is not I'm one slip away from death. I don't look at it that way, he says. My perspective is what do I need to be focused on so that I can really live? What do I need to be focused on so that I can really live? It's almost like he's saying... When you get to the end of your rope or when you learn to let go of the rope, that's when you can actually learn to trust. That's when you can learn to live by faith. And and I think people would say, yeah, it takes a lot of faith to climb a mountain without a rope, but but what what if I said this kind of faith that it takes to climb this mountain or the kind of faith it takes to move a mountain, it's the kind of faith that comes by following a very detailed and meticulous plan. I asked Jared Wells, our production coordinator here, if he would compile several different scenes that show uh, the planning and the preparing and the training that Alex Honnold does before he attempts to do this free solo. So I I want you to watch this uh, clip that shows all of the planning and then we're gonna talk about our plan for keeping our eyes on Jesus this year. Take a look.
0: If the ultimate dream is to solo El Cap, then I need a good map of what that will take, you know, like a, a mental image of what the hard parts are, where they are, what they will entail. If I'm going to do it, Freerider seems like the best route. There are probably six pitches that worry me the most. Just off the ground, there's some insecure climbing. And then Free Blast, pitch six being the one I fell off of, which is obviously a total botch. Then the down climb to the Hall of Flake and then the monster off with, with just super physical, difficult style of climbing. The enduro corner in and of itself would have been the most difficult part of virtually any big solo I've done. Your feet aren't on any specific holds. What makes your feet stay to the wall is the amount of pressure that you pull with your hands. The harder you pull with your hands, the more your feet stick. The most demanding for your arms on the whole route. And you've climbed 2,500 feet to get to the Enduro corner. So you're pretty fatigued. But the piece that I've always worried about the most is the crux, the hardest part. To get past the crux, you have to climb either the boulder problem or the Teflon corner, 2,000 feet off the ground, each of which I've fallen off many times with the rope. The Teflon corner is basically like a 90 degree corner of glass, which is ultra slippery. It just fills me with terror. Pushing against the two walls of it with my feet on glass, my palms on glass, and trying to make these little micro adjustments to keep my balance centered so that I can push evenly on all four sides of it. And then I imagine 2,500 feet of air beneath my feet. You're like, that's just a crazy thing to think about. The alternative is the boulder problem, but the boulder problem has a ten foot section that's incredibly difficult. It's a very intricate sequence. You've got your right hand on a crimp, left hand on a side pull, and then you put your right foot onto this dimple thing. Right hand goes up to a small down pulling crimp, left foot goes into a little dish and then you drive up off the left foot into the thumb press. That's the worst hold on the entire route. So you get maybe half your thumb on the hold. Then you roll your two fingers over the thumb. Switch your feet. Left foot stems out to this really bad sloping black foothold. Switch your thumbs. and then reach out left to a big sloping bread loaf type hold that feels kind of grainy. From there, either karate kick or double dyno to an edge on the opposite wall. In some ways, it makes more sense to do the big two-handed jump because you're jumping to a good edge so there's actually something to catch. But the idea of jumping without a rope seems completely outrageous. If you miss it, that's that. But then the karate kick always feels like you're falling into the other wall, which also feels outrageous for Solon. I need to dial it in so much that you know it doesn't matter if there's like a stadium of people watching me because it's so easy for me that I'm just like, check this out and just do it. Pitch one to stay left towards the top, splitter, feels more secure. Pitch two, trust right foot, rock on, trust the feet, right hand to the last undercling. Eight, easy romp, go fast. And nine. Stay outside for the down climb, careful of blocks. Pitch 26. So lie back in up the corner. Key left hand pinch thing, right foot backstep on a little edge, left foot pace against the wall, stand up. Left hand of the huge ear jug thing, switch the feet. Match the big jug. Left foot jams into the crack. Then you see right hand down pulling on the top part of the jug. Left hand goes into this flared slot thing, which you can either fist jam or hand jam. Either way, it's like a flare jam in the slot. Sag down onto it. Right hand crosses under to an undercling side pull. Right foot sinks low to a flat edge. Left foot steps through to an edge. Right foot back steps really high, so you can sag your weight around the corner without having to swing. Left foot out to the big horn. Right hand through to a little finger pocket. You go left foot out to an edge around the corner. You can actually push all the way into the corner. Then you can grab this down-pulling right-hand flat, like small crimp. left hand to the other underclang, switch your feet on the rail, and then just reach through the jugs, and then you're just done. The key thing for the crux, pull hard, trust feet, trust, underline, double exclamation point, period. Autopilot, period.
1: That is a man with a plan. He, he, he knows, he understands, that if he follows this detailed plan, Move by move, inch by inch, this is the path that leads to life. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel believed there was a path to follow which led to life. It was Torah. Follow Torah. Torah is the Old Testament word for law. You follow the law, you follow the commands, that is the path that leads to life. Jesus is born, Jesus grows up, he begins his three-year ministry, and Jesus does not say follow Torah. Jesus says something else. Jesus says, follow me. You want more hope? You want more peace? You want more joy? You want more life? Follow me. Now, Jesus is not anti-Torah. He says, I didn't come to abolish the Torah, I came to fulfill it. And so when you look at Jesus and you look at his life and his teaching and his priorities, you get a pretty good picture of who God is and the life that God desires for us. And this became a real eye-opening experience for the people of Israel. They started to realize everything in the Old Testament, everything in their scriptures was pointing to this man, pointing to this person, Jesus. The entire Old Testament was about Jesus. And so they realized Jesus is Torah personified. And a life of faith isn't about following all these written rules and laws and commandments. A life of faith is about following a person. It's about following Jesus. Jesus. Did did you know tomorrow is Epiphany Sunday? You got big plans for celebrating Epiphany Sunday? Epiphany in the church calendar is the 12th day of Christmas. On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Epiphany is when we celebrate the wise men showing up in Bethlehem to worship the newborn king. And, And one of the things that happens when we read the story of the wise men, they see the star and they, they follow it. I think a lot of times we forget that there was a plan involved in this. We think, oh, there's a star. I wonder what that is. Let's follow it. And all of a sudden they end up at, at you know, the manger. That's not how it happened. The, these were astronomers, astrologers. These were, you know, magicians, intelligent, educated people. They heard about the star before they saw the star. And so they started making plans. When the star appears, what do we do? And we don't know specifically where they live. We're just told they're from the east. Was it Babylon, Persia? Who knows? But the journey from wherever they were to Bethlehem would have been a journey that took months, if not years. And so this was a carefully planned journey that the wise men went on. When they arrive in Jerusalem, Herod the king finds out about their quest, and he's not happy. He's the king. He doesn't like the idea of a newborn king. And let's read together what Herod says to the wise men. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Our theme this year at Hope for this year, 2020, is all eyes on Jesus. And it makes sense that we would have a theme that's about eyes, that's about sight, vision. But really, this isn't just an annual theme, this is at the core of who we are as a church. Our core value number one at Hope for years and years and years has been Jesus' life. Jesus' life. Let's all say that together. Jesus' life. So when we keep our eyes on Jesus, not just for a year, but on a moment-by-moment, inch-by-inch, move-by-move basis in our life, we believe that is what's going to lead to the abundant and eternal life that Jesus has for us. Jesus' life, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, and, and I wonder what your plan for that is this year. I mean, it turns out it, you actually have to make a plan to climb a mountain without any ropes. You don't just walk up to it and decide, I'm going to climb that today. The first thing Alex Honnold had to do, he had to pick which path is he going to follow, which route is he going to take, all kinds of routes, but there was only one that would lead him to the top of the mountain alive. Faith works in a pretty similar way. There is a path, there is a road, it's a wide road that leads to death and destruction, Jesus says. A lot of people go that way. And there's a narrow road, a narrow path that leads to life. We, of course, want to go that path. We want to go that way. And Jesus says, I know the way. More than that, Jesus says, I am the way. Herod was not sincere. When he says to the wise men, search carefully for Jesus, I want to worship him too. But this is a good check for us as we get started in this year. What is your plan? What is your detailed, meticulous plan for searching carefully for Jesus, the one who is life for you? I'm guessing a lot of you have pretty detailed plans about how you're going to lose weight this year. And what the recipes are and what you're going to eat and when you're going to eat it and what you're not going to eat. I'm guessing a lot of you have detailed plans about how you're going to get in shape this year you know, training for a 5K or a half marathon or an Ironman. I'm guessing pretty of you have pretty detailed plans about how you're going to remodel your, I don't know, basement or kitchen or bathroom. You have detailed plans about how you're going to save for retirement. you got detailed plans about all sorts of things. What is your detailed plan for keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, for searching carefully for Jesus this year? And if you do not have a plan, why not? Do you think you do not need God? Or maybe your thought was, well, I'll come to church the first weekend of the year and Scott will give me a plan. Oh, you're in luck. Um, (laughs) We've actually been thinking about this quite a bit at Hope. You know, this is why we exist. We want to help people follow after Jesus and discover the life that he has. So um, we're going to be talking about Jesus every weekend at worship. But but I want to kind of set it up this weekend. There's a rhythm of life that Jesus has, and Jesus, when he says, follow me, one of the things he's doing is inviting us to to live this kind of rhythm of life. The rhythm of life shows up all over the pages of the Gospels, but one of the places you see it pretty clearly is in Luke chapter 6, a rhythm of solitude and community and mission. So Luke 6, 12 says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. So I'll talk about the word rhythm for a little bit. Uh, sometimes people talk about having more balance in their life. I, I think rhythm is a, a more helpful term when it comes to faith. Balance, the, the danger of a balanced life is we just start to compartmentalize everything. And we've got a compartment for this and a compartment for that. And, and the, the goal for a balanced life is just spend the same amount of time and energy and, and resources on everything equally. And that will lead to a balanced life. A balanced life would mean I'd never have to pull an all-nighter again. Jesus pulls an all-nighter multiple times. And so for Jesus, it's not about a compartmentalized life. It's about a holistic way of living. This rhythm of Jesus' life begins with solitude. He gets away from everyone else so that he can spend time alone with God, listening to God, uh, asking God questions, talking to God, uh, receiving help and encouragement and guidance from God all sorts of ways that you and I can do this. The idea is how do we get intentional about connecting with God? It does not mean you have to stay up all night praying. Prayer will probably be a part of your plan for solitude and studying the Bible and, I don't know, listening to podcasts, listening to music, journaling for some of you might be a good way for you to have a practice solitude. Uh, some of you, as you are training for your Iron Man, that could be a way of getting away from everyone else and connecting with God on your bike or on your run, hoot. anyway. Um, <laughs> some people love that sort of thing. If that's you, it's great. It's really actually easy. I think a lot of times people get scared of this idea. So I, I want to just practice a little bit of solitude for a while. I'll pull out my phone and let's just take 60 seconds And be still and be quiet. And you can close your eyes if you want to. You don't have to. Uh, It might help you remove some distractions. Sometimes people say, yeah, as soon as I start praying, my mind just starts bouncing all over the place. (laughs) Pay attention to that. Like, where does it go? Worry? Fear? My to-do list? And then how do you invite God into that? What if you pull out your phone at 9 a.m. at noon at 3 p.m.? Whether you're at work or school, and you just take 60 seconds and get quiet with God, reconnect with God. So we're going to do it right now. Timer set for one minute. Everyone ready? That goes fast. Um, Let's all share what we... No. Uh, You want to know what I focused in on? A child crying. And, And I think sometimes we're like, oh, that's a distraction, that's a distraction. No, here's what I started to think of. We just celebrated Christmas, God becoming a child that needs to be held, needs to be comforted. God became that for us. Guess what God does for us? God holds us. God comforts us. And that's the way solitude can work. But it takes practice. Uh, Jesus doesn't always stay in solitude, so you extroverts. Flows out of solitude into community. The next verse, verse 13. At daybreak, he, Jesus, called together all of his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. The disciple is just a word that means a follower. Jesus calls all of us, follow me, follow me, be a disciple. Now, these 12 in particular, they spend the next three years as kind of apprentices of Jesus. And so let's just say they spend 40 hours a week with Jesus. I'm sure it was much more than that. 40 hours a week for three years. You get just over 6,000 hours. And still, and still, they needed a lot of work and help. There was gaps. They they had not arrived. Let's say you make a decision. I am not going to miss worship, not even one weekend for the next 40 years. It would be a good decision. You'd get to about 2,000 hours if you did that. Well, I hope we have long sermons. You'd get maybe 2,500 <laughs> hours, M- much less than the amount of time these 12 disciples spend with Jesus in three years. And so when we talk about community, worship is an integral part of it. I mean, Gospels say, as was his custom, Jesus would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath with his disciples. Jesus worshiped weekly. Something good and important happens when we do that. And by the way, Saturday night, look at you. This is fun. Uh, come back again next Saturday night. This is great. We're in overflow on a Saturday. Now, we do have a lot of room in the front. You could come sit in the front. Next. Anyway, um, something important and good happens when we gather together in community for worship. So that's part of Jesus' rhythm. Uh, The other thing I hope that you've noticed we've started doing around here, we have a a meal on Sunday mornings before the 8 o'clock service. We also have a meal on Monday nights before Celebrate Recovery and on Wednesday nights before our midweek programming. Uh, Part of the reason why we do that is to create more opportunity for community. We have a winter catalog, and we've been talking to you for several weeks now. You can sign up for classes. You can sign up to be in a group. The winter catalog lists everything. Uh, Bible studies, ways for you to get together with other people to ask questions and to grow in your faith. And the way we do groups around here, you heard in the Hope 360 this idea of life groups, and that's one of the ways groups happen around here. One of the things we've been discovering in Ankeny, a lot of times people like to know when's the start date and is it, is it like really for the rest of my life or does it end after four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks? It's both. And so we do the winter catalog and if you want to stay together for the next 40 years, you can do that. Just sign up for something new every time. But part of what we're trying to do is we hope there are new people coming into our uh, community all the time. And if we just say, get in a group that you, you all get along and you all agree with one another and everything's great and then you just go and do your thing for the next 40 years, where, where do the new people get together? And what, one of the dangers, one of the temptations of getting together in a life group is you start to make community the end goal. And I'm happy with these people, and so you have everybody else figured out on your own, but I'm happy with myself. It, when community is the end goal, that's not in rhythm with Jesus. It's never community for the sake of community. It's always community for the sake of mission. And so this is the way Jesus' life flows, from solitude into community and then ultimately into mission. And uh, actually it's verse 17. They come down from the mountain. The disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. And it goes on to say the crowds are people who, who come from all over to meet Jesus and to listen to what Jesus has to teach so that they can follow his teaching so that they could touch Jesus, receive healing power from Jesus. But this is ministry. This is service to the world around us. This is mission. Reach out to the world around you. Share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. It happens in all kinds of ways. It happened through giving away over 150,000 pairs of socks during our Advent project coming up. Uh, in a couple of weeks, it's going to be the Super Bowl food drive. We're going to ask you to help us You know, stock all the food the shelves of the food pantries in central Iowa. Next weekend after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have an information meeting on a mission trip to South Africa coming up in 10 months in in November. I'll be going on that. My uh, daughter Kylie, who will be a junior in high school, is going to go with me. Maybe the timing is right for you uh, to go on on that mission trip or one of uh, the mission trips that Hope sponsors or maybe to get connected with a local mission organization and do it on kind of a weekly basis, serving the world around you. The reason I tell you how many people show up for a Christmas Eve service It's not to brag. It's not to say, wow, that's a lot of people. But it's to say, see the impact that the ministry of this church is having? When people who are at the end of their rope walk into a place and you've done everything that you can do to help make it a welcoming place for them, you become the body of Christ. You become the hands and feet of Jesus. And you help people who are at the end of their rope meet Jesus. So this is the rhythm. I don't know what it looks like for you, but go home and spend some time thinking about what is your plan for walking in rhythm with Jesus this year from solitude to community to mission. It's going to require a leap of faith. It's going to be scary. It's going to take you to some unexpected places, but I will guarantee it will add life to you. I want to show you one more clip from this movie, uh, Free Solo, before we uh, go to communion. He does all this training and planning and and prepping, and it's finally time uh, to climb it. But I hope you notice in that first scene, and he'll talk about it again in in this scene, there's one part of the climb that really kind of has him freaked out. He calls it the crux, the crux. We'll talk about that when we get to communion too. And so watch this, and, and as you watch it, think about your own life. What is it that that makes you come alive? What what does it look like for you to live your best life? And what does Jesus have to do with that? Take a look. The karate kick.
0: He's got it. He just sent the boulder problem. He must be so stoked. I can't believe you guys actually can watch. Oh, I don't wanna, I don't, I don't. Yeah, that's kind of exposed right there. Oh my God, it's so exposed. That a rat move as he stepped around has got to be, I mean that's like one of the most exposed moves, like, in one L cap. You just step out and it all drops away. Alex is having the best day of his life. Uh, I don't know. Not me. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, no, this is it. I don't, we don't need to do this again.
1: Uh, The crux, the crux is a, a difficult or challenging point. And it's the root word for the crucifixion. It's a place of challenge, yes, but it's also a place of suffering Hardship. I don't know what crux you are facing. But as I watch that, one of the things that I realize is we have a God who experienced the crux. Night before, he's killed. He's in the garden crying out to God all night long. I'm at the end of my rope. I need some help here. Jesus goes through the crux so that you and I can have faith when we go through it, that we have a God who loves us, who holds us, that no matter what happens to us, there's a life available to us and we remember that love and we remember that life when we come to the lord's table the night he was betrayed jesus took some bread he blessed it he broke it gave it to his disciples he said take and eat it's my body given for you eat this and remember me when you eat it later in the meal he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sins drink this and remember me when you drink it Let's stand and let's pray together the prayer Jesus taught his followers to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.